Have you been considering taking your horse or Western photography passion to the next level? Hi, it's Kara with Cowgirls with Cameras, and I want to tell you about our Cottonwood Ranch photography experience in August. This experience is a workshop, portfolio builder, business clinic, and gathering set in the majestic scenery of the Nevada mountains. This event is learning intensive and full of shooting opportunities that feature ranch work, western horses, cowboys, cowgirls, horses, and dogs. You'll walk away feeling more confident in your camera, editing, and business skills, shoot a few thousand images, and gain new friends in the process. Our events are always focused on collaboration over competition, and our three instructors, myself, Kim Beer, and Phyllis Burchette, are all deeply passionate about seeing you reach your photography goals. To learn more about this event and other photography adventures we have coming up, head over to cowgirlswithcameras.com. It's time to laugh, learn, and take your photography to the next level with your favorite Cowgirls with Cameras, Kara, Kim, and Phyllis. Welcome to the Cowgirls with Cameras podcast. I'm Kim Beer with Be More Business and Kim Beer Photography. I'm Kara with Fast Horse Photography. And I'm Phyllis with Phyllis Burchette Photo. Good morning, guys. Hey, good morning. Before we get started, just wanted to do a quick little, just describe a little bit about what we've got going on. For everyone out there that's looking for their next photography adventure, we have some spots still left at our Cottonwood Ranch Immersive Photography Experience taking place in Wells, Nevada at the beautiful Cottonwood Ranch. That's in August 24th through 29th. And we've got some space left at our Trapper's Lake. That one is almost full. The Trapper's Lake Lodge Photography Adventure taking place in Peak, Colorado Beauty, September 29th through October 3rd. And I believe you guys just opened up your Art of the Cowgirl in June, the Montana Gathering, which is June 1st through 4th. Is that right? Yes. Awesome. Okay. So you guys have some space left in that one. And for anyone who's interested in that one, they could head over to Art of the Cowgirl and get themselves registered. But if anyone is looking for a really incredible adventure with their cameras on a beautiful ranch, gorgeous horses, gorgeous light, dust, just all of the ingredients that you need to create incredible Western images, head over to cowgirlswithcameras.com, select our events tab and see what we've got to offer. Yeah, I'm super excited about Cottonwood. I just cannot wait for that event to get here because it's so much fun and that family is so much fun. And I tell you, it is the best place to just get some good images as well as get some good education. I love how it challenges me as an instructor and I love the feeling of the participants when they leave and they are feeling so much more confident in their photography. That just makes me feel like I'm walking on air. Well, and I think we're still working on the images from last year. So it's just (laughs) endless imagery to play with for the whole year for content creation, art creation, stock imagery. I think I've been every day this week, I've tried to pull one of the images up from that event and tried to put it to work. So just at a minimum. Nice. I'm excited for everything we're doing this year. I can't wait to get going. I've been home too long. (laughs) (laughs) Phyllis is getting itchy. (laughs) Getting itchy. Oh, she's getting itchy. So what have you guys all been up to over the last week other than editing cottonwood images? 
Well, I'll tell you, it's been an interesting week for me because it's spring break here in my town in St. Augustine. So my son has been home for partial days. He's in a summer camp or a spring break camp where he's playing soccer. So he does like a partial day of soccer camp stuff and he's loving it, but it's giving me, for me as a mom and a photographer and someone trying to run a business, it's giving me about three solid hours of work that I can get done. And then after that, the rest of the day is this weird kind of hodgepodge of momming and answering phone calls and responding to emails and just trying to keep things moving. One of the things I did get done this week that I'm really proud of is I finally sat down and wrote out my full email sequence that I've been needing to update for the time between when my photo shoots take place with my clients and their viewing and ordering appointments. So I was able to create some really cool emails that have what to expect now. Here are some ways that you can start thinking about that you may want to use your images. Here's a checklist of people that you don't want to forget gifts for. Here's how you measure your walls and send me those pictures. So it's a really detailed email sequence that takes place in that two to three weeks between photo shoot and viewing and ordering appointment. And really the idea there is helping people get ready to order and helping them get ready to design their wall art. So I'm super excited. I finally got that done and knocked off my to-do list. What about you guys? Wow. For me, it's just kind of repetitive of what I've been saying I've been doing for the past month almost, (laughs) working on fine art submissions with the two publishers I have. I'm excited because the new publisher has taken some of my old work that was with another publisher that went out of business. So gosh, I've got, of course, I'm working with Denise on my website update a lot too. I had a couple of Zoom mentorships this week where we would do some post-processing. And my most unfavorite thing to do all year is tax season and just starting to try to get taxes together so I can get that done and out of the way. That's it for me. Yeah, I spent all Sunday. I spent all Sunday doing my taxes and trying to get my Schedule C to our tax person. So I feel you on that. I'm not that far along yet. (laughs) I wish I was. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) Oh, lucky you. Lucky you. I make my tax person do it all. All I do is print out the spreadsheets and drop them off at his office and then (laughs) I leave it in his capable hands. (laughs) Oh, I'm jealous. We can't get away with that. So I haven't gotten to that point yet, but I need to because it's like right on the top of me. Okay, so for other things that I've been up to, I am got like a ton of local workshops that I'm doing. And I've been working on planning those. They're not all around photography, a couple of them around sales and all kinds of things. I'm going to be speaking at the Missouri PPA in their Zoom session next month. So I'm getting ready for that. And yeah, I've been working on just like lots of promotional stuff and lots of mentorship and client work and just sitting with people and getting plans made for the rest of the year. Our weather here is starting to perk up. It's starting to get warm. And so I'm going to be hitting full on everyone at the ranch for gestalt sessions here pretty quick. And I've been running my groups and just kind of treading on. I have a lot of things to, a lot of things in the plans, lots of things in the works. I have a big project that I am working on that I hope eventually I'll get to announce here. But for right now, it's still all very much in the fluid planning stations, which is a place that I love. We all know I love to dream. So that's my two cents on what I've been up to. Shall we dive into our topic for the day? Let's do it. We shall. 
We shall. So this topic <laughs> is not exactly the most thrilling topic on the planet, as Phyllis pointed out when we were getting ready to hit the record button this morning. So <laughs> it is not typically where photographers get excited and juiced up. However, it is where photographers get excited and juiced up if things go wrong. <laughs> So what we want to do is help you understand a little bit more about some of the legality around especially your copyright and licensure and contracts and all of those really sticky things that I kind of put in the same box with tax season that you really have to do for your business as a photographer, but they're not usually at the top of your, ooh, I can't wait to do that list. So we're all going to talk about the legality kind of in our realms of photography. And I'm going to kick us off with commercial photography and talk with you a little bit about what's important if you're doing commercial photography. So by commercial photography, I mean working with a business or some type of a magazine or article or something like that. It would be editorial, but it's contracted editorial. In other words, they hire you to go do this. It's not where you're like selling stock images or putting things up. Almost every piece of work I do, if not every piece of work I do, is really contracted. People call me, they hire me to do something very specific, and they have a very usually specific usage for the images. And so a lot of times we get into some sticky areas because they hire me, they think that they own the images that I take, and that is not true. So copyright stays with the photographer. When you create that image, so basically when you hit that shutter button, the copyright of your image belongs to you. Do not sell your copyright unless it is some kind of weird circumstance. I mean, I have never sold a copyright in my commercial career. You do not need to do it. What I do is something called licensing. So, and licensing is gonna apply in different areas. You license stock images. There's a lot of things that you license in photography, but my commercial work is licensed and it's licensed through a contract that I make with my client when we are sitting down and talking about doing their photo shoot and discussing the parameters around that. So the license gives them rights to use that image for multiple or certain purposes. My only restriction in my license, and I am not always typical of commercial photographers, but the only restriction in my license is that they can't use the image for resale. So in other words, they can't take my image, put it in a calendar, and then sell that calendar under that particular license that I use with my clients when we get started. So if they want to do that, I have zero problems with it. But I want to know about the project. And I want to know if there's a financial reason for me to have part of that payment back. Now, I have had it happen where people come to me and say, I want to use this image in my calendar, or we want to use this image on a t-shirt or something else that they're going to sell. And it's a small farm, and they're going to make 50 of them, and they're going to sell them for just barely over what they're paying for them. I don't want to cut of that. But I have had other people who have made 
a lot of money by using one of my images in a larger project and I got a piece of that project's profit. So you have to judge those individually, in my opinion. And so I keep my license that says if you're going to use this for resale, if you're going to resell the image and the image is a part of the value of what is being sold, then you need to talk to me before you do it. And I make that very clear with my clients. Otherwise, they can use the images for what they need to use them for, which is primarily marketing. They're going to use them in advertising. They're going to use them on their website. So the contract does cover all of that. Contracts, in my opinion, are one of the least held to but most important parts of a photography business. Actually, they're a most important part of most business dealings. When you do a contract, it's going to have a lot of like weird language and kind of legally mumbo jumbo. And by the way, you can buy them from the internet. You can go, there's a variety of sources. And if I wager correctly, I bet you Kara can tell you a whole bunch of places that you can get them when we get there. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to talk about contracts. Okay. What I want you to realize from what I want to add to this conversation is when you look at a contract, make sure that contract states clearly what you're going to do what you expect your customer to do, who will deliver what when, and what is going to happen if something doesn't work out the way that it should. So in plain English, make sure your contract covers those things, because those are the places that you're going to get sideways with your customers. Now, it's going to cover a bunch of other things, but those things sometimes, particularly what you expect from your clients, what you are going to bring to the process, doesn't always get stated really clearly. And I believe it's very important, especially in a contract situation, for you to do that. I do want you to understand that if you do commercial photography work, there are many, many times you are not going to get a byline. You're not going to have your signature on the images. No one is going to credit you for it. A lot of my work gets published in really nice places, and it does have not have a single association back to me. That is okay. I know that as a commercial photographer, that's the way it's going to be. I'm not going to get attached to that. But if you are attached to it and you're doing commercial work, you need to make sure you work out in your contract how credit is going to be given and that that credit is okay with your client and that they're okay with providing that. The final thing I want to say with this that is really important is when you're doing commercial work, If you do not have this contract in place and you do not have these discussions, the person who hired you can make a valid argument that you did something called work for hire. And when you do work for hire, you do not own your copyright, even though you made the image. So when you're presented with a contract, and by the way, I don't ever take contracts from my clients. I give contracts to my clients. So I don't take their contract and sign it because usually that's a really big red flag that it's going to be a work for hire situation. And when you agree to do work for hire, and that's exactly what it's called, that means that the copyright belongs to whoever 
you took those images for. So it'll state it in the work for hire contract, or it is assumed if you don't have another contract at times. So make sure you cover yourself because in that case, you have no recourse on how those images are used or anything past what they pay you for the base photo shoot. Does that make sense to everybody? Have you ever been approached with a work for hire contract? Yes, a very long time ago. And it took me a while. At first, I was like, well, that sounds cool. And then at the time, I had a friend that was an attorney, and I asked them about it to kind of look over the contract. And then when I realized that I was basically giving the rights to all my images away, I was like, no. <laughs> but I was kind of a newbie at the time. So you live and learn. Yeah. And, and I learned and thankfully didn't get caught. Yeah. Yeah. It's someplace that I know that like when you work, if you're a photographer and you're working with commercial clients and they're new to this or they're really savvy at it, one or the other, the people in the middle are usually pretty easy to deal with. But a lot of times when you're working with new businesses, one of the things that they think is they just automatically assume that they own the copyright to the images and that they can do whatever they want because they hired you and that's that. And other companies purposefully try to manipulate it so that it works this way so that they don't have to deal with licensure. It's one of the reasons I made my licensing contract so simple is because I don't want to have to track all of those things. There are photographers who I think probably make more money at it because they do track a lot of stuff. So I was going to talk about this when I start talking about contracts, but I think since you're in that topic kind of already that I do want to just share one resource that I found super helpful. First of all, there's a Facebook page that I started following a while back called the business of commercial photography. And it is just chock full of resources. I just invited both of you guys to the group because I don't think that either of you guys are in there yet. But it is just chock full of resources. And one of the things that I found through that Facebook page is a course called the business of commercial photography. And it has a bundle that has been super helpful for me. The bundle includes something for first-time clients, which I think was really awesome because it gave a guide for you to share with, and this is especially, I think, big for photographers who are working with small business owners that have maybe never worked with a photographer professionally before and don't understand how that process works. So they have a first-time client's guide that you can actually share with your client so that they can understand the lingo and the language and kind of what to expect from a photo shoot with a professional photographer. Other things that are included in it and just want to share because I have found them super helpful is they have, you know, they talk about fees, they talk about, they have contracts, they talk about, they give examples of, you know, real world, you know, work for hire pitches. They do commercial animal photography guides. They have a whole slew of stuff that I just found super nice to look at. It's not cheap, but I have used it several, several times to send bids. I've used it several times in terms of contracting when I needed something really specific. So I'm just going to throw that in there. Just since we're on that topic, Kim, I would just thought I would go ahead and put it in there. If you go to the imagecrafters.com and search the business of commercial photography, you'll find that bundle. And once again, it just fits with what you were talking about. And I think it's a really great resource for a lot of our listeners. Absolutely. And I'm done. I mean, that's kind of my two cents. It's not, okay. I know one of you guys is going to talk about model and property releases, which are typically very important to what I do. So I just wanted to make sure people understand that 
Yeah. A lot of times personal clients, like portrait clients and that kind of thing, they treat you as an artist and that usually comes with the copyright and some respect. I mean, I don't know if all of them do, but a lot of mine have. I've rarely had anybody question or have a problem when I do portrait type work or when I did horse shows or a variety of other things. The places that I've had to get a little bit more stern are with my commercial clients because for them, Mm -hmm. it feels more like you're an employee sometimes. And I am not their employee. I am a business owner and I produce a quality product. And that product does contain an aspect to it that is copyrightable and that needs to be addressed in a licensure situation. And it just simply is explaining that to people, that this is the way it's done. And once it's explained and they understand, not in a callous or, or condescending way, it really is a very pleasant system to work within. And I've I've enjoyed the many years I've been a commercial photographer, very much so. Well, I think with that in mind, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about contracts. Because as photographers, as professional photographers, you need to have a contract. As horse photographers, we need contracts that are specific to equine photography. I really believe that. I see horse photographers all the time talk about how they pulled a contract off of this and that website, and it was for something else, and they were able to make it work. That's great. I hope that they were considering and thinking about language around horses and livestock and state laws and that sort of stuff when they're putting it all together. So if it's an equine photography portrait contract or a commercial or a stock photography contract, you need to have a contract. There are all sorts of other types of photography contracts out there that you might want to consider, such as a second shooter contract. Maybe you're dappling in weddings or human portraits specifically. Maybe you're dabbling in videography. All of those types of can have their own type of contract. There are lots of reasons that Kim's mentioned a few already, but some of mine for the work that I do, the first one is you need a contract so that you can clarify all the details. You can solidify those details. So this ensures that everyone's on the same page. And they always have a document that they can go back if they have questions and check. So things like the dates of services and the meetings when you're planning on meeting up, deliverables should be included in the contract. So this is going to include what you as the photographer are going to do, but it also will include the expectations for your client. And I think that's important. They need to know what their expectations are. It'll include things like you're going to have your signatures. It'll have places to initial so that you can ensure that people understand certain things. I have, for example, in my contract, I have a spot where my clients have to initial that they have viewed and received a copy of my artwork guide. So I know that they're understanding my prices before they sign the contract. Your contract should have a cancellation policy, a refund policy, a payment expectation, and a payment schedule section. copyright information and image rights usage that Kim was just talking about should be included as part of your contract. My contract also includes a model release. My contract includes an information on equine liability specifically. And then there should be something in your contract that talks about what happens after the photo shoot. What are the post-production expectations? And then if there's any extra fees, and I think about like mileage or additional editing or just any extras, that should be in your contract and so that your client can understand. And then in my contract, I always have something about the weather too. And for most of us, we're shooting outdoors and weather may become an issue. So you want to have something in your contract that says this is what happens if we have weather conditions that aren't conducive to photography. 
You also want to have a contract to simply just protect yourself. It's another layer of protection that you can put in place. And then the third reason you want a contract, and to me, this is an important one. I think that having contracts is a sign of professionalism as a photographer, and it shows your clients that you want very clear communication. They can understand what the expectations are, and it'll also tell them how you plan to fulfill the promises to them that you have outlined in the contract. And what that means to me is it's just another tool for the relationship building that you want to do with your client. And I come at my clients as a fun, as a let's get creative together, but I also come at them with, we're going to do this professionally. We're going to work together professionally. These are the things that you can expect from me. And this is what I expect from you so that we can have a good relationship through this process. And so that we can create the art that you need. Another piece that I don't have listed here that I think could be good to have in a contract is how you will handle disputes how you will handle any issues that come up, if there's concerns, how you'll handle those. And that's a nice thing to have in your contract as well. For everyone out there that's listening and is like, well, what contract do you use? What do you prefer? The one that I have had a lot of success with and have enjoyed using over the years comes from the contract shop. It's actually the equine photography contract template that they sell. It's something that you can purchase. One of the things that I really like about this contract is that it has information for each state's specific equine liability statute. So whatever state that you're in, you can go in and actually pull that information, put that in your contract. And it's it's basically the same information that, you know, your local barns are going to be using when they are you know, having clients come in that want to participate in equine activities. It's very similar to that. So for my clients, it's in the contract. And then I will go through with them and explain to them, okay, this is how this statute applies to me and the work that we're doing and make sure that that's really clear for them. So those are probably the biggest things. Anything you guys want to add to that? I just want to ditto on that company's contracts because they are excellent and very detailed because that's the one I use as well that I still have when if I Mm -hmm. that I used when I was doing portrait work and I would still use. Yeah. And I like how detailed it is even about simple things like and you wouldn't think this would be an issue, but about somebody taking, especially if they buy their digital library or something, yeah. I've had people take it and do their own editing, or yeah. <laughs> it's very specific that they can't do that, or that they can't take their images, and even though they think they're theirs, they can't take them and sell them to a company to sell a product with, or even to enter a contest or something like that. So I think it's a very detailed, it's a great contract. It's created by an attorney. And of course, they're fully customizable. So, you know, I've made changes to mine over the years. And I definitely would recommend if you have your own legal team or legal person that you want to have take a look at it and just to make sure it's the right fit for your business. But a lot of photographers have gotten some great use out of this contract. It's not cheap. I got lucky and got it several years ago when it was less expensive. But if you watch, go ahead and sign up for her emails. They have deals that run and you can sometimes near the holidays or Black Friday, you can get a good deal on it. All right, Phyllis, I think you're next talking about model and property releases. Oh, yes, I am. My my <laughs> most favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> Not. <laughs> well, I, obviously, this is something that as much as we hate to have to get it done that we really do need is model or property releases, especially if you plan to do any kind of commercial work like to sell for stock imagery or book covers. 
But basically, a model or a property release is a written agreement between you and the person you're photographing or the person who owns the property that you're photographing, which gives you permission to sell the image commercially. If the image is used in an advertisement or a promotion uh, to sell a product, it needs a release. But you can sell an image for editorial use, even if it does not have a release. Basically, a model release says the person being photographed has given you consent to be photographed and for you to use and sell the images you capture of them. A property release says that the owner of a certain property, such as a or even a pet, or a, it could be the pet, their horse, or a building, has given you consent to take and use images of that property. In general, you don't need one for public property, such as government buildings, although you may run into some issues with security. Images of private property, you're always safer to get a release. Commercial use is basically, like Kim was had stated, is when an image is used to advertise, promote, sell, or endorse a product service, organization, or brand, including billboards and print advertising. A commercial use license is needed for the use of national park photographs. So if you go to a national park and you take a picture of someone or, or even just any, and then you're going to sell it for use as a commercial promotional advertising endorsement or merchandising purposes, then you got to have a permit from that national park to be oh. able to do that. And I don't know about state parks. I think it varies from state to state. So you would need to check with your state organization about that. Editorial use is uh, when an image is used in conjunction with or to illustrate a story or a descriptive piece of text, such as like a magazine or a newspaper, features or books. And in general, I would say you, you know, especially if it's a, uh, most of the time for a newspaper or magazine or any kind of news article you don't need. But I mean, if, if I can, I always get a model or a property release. And why do you need a property release? Of course, we've kind of already covered that. But obviously, to maximize the potential for you to sell your images for commercial use, like stock images or book cover use. I know both of the companies I work with, they do ask for, they do, and even my licensing to art images, they did not used to ask for model releases. It's kind of leaning more towards that now that even if there's a person in the image, when you were selling it for fine art, you didn't used to need a model release for that, but now they're leaning towards you getting a model release even for fine art if you're selling it to a license to a company, if you're going to sell your images royalty free, which is basically stock images. Which is why it's so important that at our workshops, we make sure that all of our events have model releases and property releases where needed. I mean, just because yeah. we want people to be able to walk away from those events and use their images and put them to work. Exactly. It's great to be able to yeah. utilize those images after and, and have some passive income coming in from. Well, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if a person can recognize themselves in an image, and, and most of the time, even if it's just hands, I would still highly recommend to go ahead and get to get a model release. And if there are two people holding hands, be sure you get you know both persons to sign a model release. You can digitize your releases. There are ways to do that on your phones, but I would always have backup copies, uh, hard copies that I could keep in a, I would have them, I would have a digital copy on my computer and I would have a hard copy in my files. The great thing is I know maybe on some of them, they don't have a place, but on some of the model releases I have, you actually have a place to put a picture of the model mm -hmm. on the release so that you can match that to the person. I like to try to have all releases signed before we start shooting. That way, you know, there's not going to be an issue of somebody after you're done shooting going, well, I'm not going to sign that, which does happen on a rare occasion. 
And obviously, if it's a minor under the age of 18, you're going to have to get the parent or guardian to sign for that. I know one place I said I looked at said to be sure to get a release for every day of the shoot. Sometimes I'll just put like maybe it could say like from October 1 to October 5 or something like that. Or you could specifically get one for each day, which most models are not going to want to have to sign that many <laughs> copies. They get tired of signing these. I know I don't know how many times I'll go back to the same location uh, the the next year and they go, oh, I have to sign this again. I'm like, <laughs> it's yeah, not you universal. do. <laughs> yeah, that's for your protection, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's amazing how many model or you know I call them models, but they're really just regular people mm-hmm. because they're not in general getting paid to do any of this. But the ones that we work with, obviously, but they just really think that if you have one signed in 2019, it's still good for the year 2023. So and it's not. (laughs) And make sure your releases are in perpetuity, which means just they're good for all time forever. And I think that's about it for me. Any anything that I should add you guys or you have to add? I don't have anything to add (laughs) to that. I do have a couple of things that I know that I've been asked over the years as that I've been a photographer. And I'm curious how you guys would answer these questions. So I've been asked by people, oh, I took this really cool picture of this horse as I was driving down an interstate and I photographed a horse in a pasture. Do I need to go figure out who owns that horse and get a property release? My answer to that is if there's nothing identifiable and it's not a famous horse, which you may or may not know, then you're probably pretty good and you could use that image in a variety of ways. How do you guys feel about that? Yeah, it would just depend on what they're going to use the image for. So it's kind of vague if you're selling it for commercial use, then yeah, they might need a they will request they might need it. a property release on that horse. So that's that's yeah yeah yeah. It would just depend on what they're going to use it for. I tend to err on the side of it's just get a release, do everything you yeah. can to get a release, and and I do as well. Yes, yeah. It's just I don't know. I'm always the cover your own ass kind of <laughs> mentality <laughs> in all <Yeah>. aspects. <laughs> so I just think if if it's possible to get a re- model release, and if it's something you really think you're going to be making money from, you know, why not go through those steps and try to get a release if you can? Yeah. So that's kind of how I how I would handle that. I think going back to what you were talking about copyright, of course, you know, by law, we are supposedly protected that we have copyright on any image from the time we pull the trigger, shoot that shot. But at the same time, there's a whole nother, I mean, having your images on file with the U.S. Copyright Office is a good idea. There's just so much to this. So that's why I think model and property releases and contracts are really, really important. They are. And just so everyone does know, you do have the copyright at the shutter release. You do not have to file for copyright. But as Phyllis mentioned, it is a really good idea. And you can simply Google how to do that. You can copyright a batch of images at the same time. So it doesn't make it horribly complicated to do it. But you can do it. You can just Google it. It's The procedure is pretty well outlined online. What other questions do you guys get around models and contracts? I mean, I know that it happens a lot when we're at events. People always have a ton of questions. And we've given a lot of good basic Mm -hmm. information. But I'm curious about ones that you've gotten over the years that that might have stumped you. The horse horse on the highway one is one I've had numerous times. (laughs) 
I think that there's some things that people don't think about sometimes. Things like tattoos on arms, you know, that's art that belongs technically. I mean, it's like on the person's body, but it's art that was created by an artist. I think about things like that. And I have had that question before. Things like, like I took a picture one time of a little girl uh, reading a book that the cover was art by another artist, you know, so like spending a little time looking into like what kind of releases are needed for that type of stuff. I've had a few questions on that and I don't know all the answers, but I think that things like that often don't get considered until it becomes a problem. So yeah, go ahead, Phyllis. Oh, I was just going to say, and obviously taking pictures of things that have people or mm-hmm. places or yeah. anything that has copyrighted imagery in it, yeah. like the Coke sign or, you know, yeah. I mean, because, you know, and you don't want to get sued by a big company. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, it's it's simple, just stop doing whatever you're doing. But it, it's just be careful about having any kind of copyrighted logos in your images too, especially if you're licensing, if yeah. you're trying to do stock imagery. And most most companies won't accept them if they have that in them anyway. So that's true. Yeah. yeah. And if since we are talking about you know getting legal, one of the things that I would add here too that I think falls under releases and contracts is like Phyllis had mentioned earlier about shooting on national park areas, but there's a lot of places that require special licensing and permit to shoot at. And to me, one of the most embarrassing things that could happen as a professional photographer is to get hired for a shoot, show it up at a location and then get kicked off the property and not be able to complete the shoot. So (laughs) I know several photographers who've gotten creative. They've wanted to take pictures on in public areas, on bridges and downtown areas. Us with our beach shoot, I mean, that requires two permits alone just to get through that weekend of shooting. So just make sure that you understand the laws for where you want to shoot, the expectations. When in doubt, make a phone call. I think if you're at a paid shoot, that whole philosophy of, you know, ask, what is it? Just do it and ask for permission later. Like, I just Mm -hmm. don't think that's a professional way to conduct yourself as a photographer that's especially doing paid work. So I see photographers that just say, oh, just do it and deal with the consequences afterwards. But I just don't operate that way. I think as a professional, we have an obligation to do it right. Right. Yeah. And especially like I know we have a lot of sunflower farms around us Mm -hmm. and used to, you know, before photography got to be real big, you could just go there and take pictures of family or friends or whatever. You might even do a paid shoot there. But because these places started getting inundated with so many photographers and trampled. And yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. And and trampled their, you know, and not just sunflower farms, but even some other private properties that have gardens and stuff like that. I was shocked at how many photographers would be so disrespectful of people's property. Even just when I used to go shoot before I really did a lot of when I was doing a lot of landscape photography going up north, there's this whole thing like Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, where it's the Red Barn series. And it was amazing to me to see what people would do to get their shots to get on people's property and I mean climbing over fences and I just to the point where people will not let them on their property now it got so bad I mean it's just terrible so just please be respectful of people's private property or even our public lands be respectful yeah Yeah. and there's so many places that if you just take the time to describe what you're doing and ask them they're open to it I mean especially as someone who likes to take horses to unique places that maybe have never had horses before like there's some incredible photography venues that have never had 
courses out and they just don't understand. So if you spend a little time working with them and talking to them about what you want to do and, and that process, a lot of times they'll open their doors to you, but you should take the time to get an appropriate license for that. Get a contract with them if you need to talk them through that process because they have a legal liability as well. And if someone gets injured on their property, that's something that they could be held accountable for. So just be professional and try to keep that in mind. Yeah. And I think the bottom line to this is if you're confused about anything that's legality wise, we as a disclaimer are not lawyers. We are photographers who use lawyers and contracts. Make sure you get a relationship with an attorney who understands this type of law. Not all attorneys work with contracts as far as businessy kind of contracts, and not all of them work with copyright. So make sure you have at least a couple of contacts, and I would recommend three deep, that you can call if things get sticky. So just make sure you make those relationships and have those in your back pocket. And some of the best ways that you can do that is reach out to other photographers in your area and ask them who they use in that area as their attorney. And then make relationships. You don't want to wait until you have a breach of contract situation or somebody does something against your copyright or something happens liability-wise to make that relationship with the attorney. You want to be able to have at least enough of a relationship. You feel comfortable calling them, getting an appointment. They know who you are and you're able to help get that resolution pretty quick. So I think that's the bottom line to all of this is be prepared and then make sure that you have contingency plans in place and you do have relationships with attorneys and with legal professionals that can help you get the resolution you need if something does go wrong. Awesome. There's also another website too that I just wanted to mention called the Law Tog. Mm. We can put that one in the notes too for people. Yeah, I'll make a note. It's created by lawyers, but it's endorsed by photographers. So... (laughs) I just made a note and I'll make sure that any of the resources that we mentioned today, I'll drop Mm -hmm. them into show notes so people can check them out. Once again, these are just resources that we've used and enjoyed. I know there are lots of other great resources out there. And if you have some and want to share them with us, send them our way because we certainly would be interested. Yes. I think that's probably it for us today. That takes us to our Cowgirls with Cameras photo challenge today. So once again, thank you to everyone who has submitted to the CWC photo challenge. I was just looking at them last week and sharing them. So just so you guys know how this works is if you are on Instagram, if you share an image to us that's on topic that is using the hashtag CWC photo challenge, I go in and look for those and then I share those images with our community. So we've had several people participating. It seems like it's starting to snowball a little bit and get bigger and bigger. So I love that. Uh, Last week's topic, last episode's topic was sunsets and sunrises. So I'm excited to start seeing those pop in. But this week's topic is shadows. So if you have a great image where you've used shadows or you're creating something with shadows, we want to see that image. Please use hashtag CWC photo challenge on Instagram. I also wanted to just say a big thank you. A couple days ago, I hopped on Apple and was looking at our podcast and I hadn't done this yet. And I was just so thrilled and I shared it with both of you guys. We've had several really amazing reviews come in about this show. And it is just super humbling. It's going to make me a little teary eyed right now. (laughs) It's just super humbling. And we just so appreciate you guys for listening and for 
letting us put the show out and for listening to it. And also just for taking the time, like I know it's not easy to stop what you're doing and take a moment to leave a review, especially a written review that like lets folks know how much you appreciate the show. And it takes up a lot of time for us and a lot of energy for us to put these show together and to know that people are listening and that they take the time to leave a review really means the world to us. So I just wanted to say a big thank you and let folks know we really appreciate it. And if you have enjoyed this show, please just take a moment and give our show a follow. It makes sure that you don't miss any episodes and it lets the algorithms that manage the podcast make sure that we get seen by other photographers that are out there that are like-minded and interested in learning about equine photography. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cowgirls with Cameras. Don't let the laughter and learning stop here. Join our community on social media and be sure to visit our website for more opportunities to fulfill your photography goals. Head to cowgirlswithcameras.com. That's cowgirlswithcameras.com. See you next time.